1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognised. When you come together... It is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead and with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, well, let him eat at home, so that when you come together it is not for judgment. But about the other things, I will give directions when I come. Righto, let's hope my voice holds out. Um, I've given today's message the title, The Body and the Body and the Blood. Uh, taken communion together, the Lord's Supper, uh, some people call it the Eucharist, it's a very serious and a very solemn event. Um, we don't joke around with it. We don't take it lightly because it is at this table uh, where we remember our Lord Jesus. We remember his suffering, his dying, his brutal execution. And of course, we remember also the joy of his resurrection. Paul tells us that every time we share together in communion, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And because we have the benefit of Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians, what we've just read, we know communion's a very solemn event. And we find ourselves wondering, what on earth was that Corinthian church thinking in the way that they were behaving in communion? They held it as a meal, right? Oh, well, that's fair enough. It's good to hold communion as a meal. But it seems that their communion was more like a, a BYO church dinner 
only it wasn't a bring and share like what we normally do when we have a church get-together. And they didn't wait for each other and they didn't share with each other. It seems like there was a bit of a division between the rich and the poor, between the haves and the have-nots, and, and the rich would get there a bit earlier with all of their ample supplies of bread and wine and whatever else they're going to eat, and then they'd tuck in and have a bit of a binge session and, and they'd even get drunk. And by the time the poorer people got there, the ones who had nothing, well, guess what they were left with? Nothing. What a broken church. It was so broken. Paul said, you're worse off for coming together. What he's saying is your worship services do more harm than good. Whoa, what a dreadful indictment on a church. When you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Now, if we have a bit of a think about that, how could coming together to worship God possibly be worse than not coming together to worship God? It's when a church comes together, but they don't come together. It's where they come divided. It causes more harm for a church to come together divided than to not come together at all. Now, we're not talking minor divisions here. We're talking major stuff. Uh, to an extent, there will always be some kind of divisions within the church. Paul says, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognised. Now, now, what he's doing here is he's drawing a distinction. It's a distinction between what he calls divisions and what he calls factions. He uses two different words. A division is a major split. In the Greek, the word is schismata, from which we get our word schism, this giant rift, and it's often used to describe a split within a church. But the distinction that Paul is making here is this split, this schism that's going on in Corinth here, it's not doctrinal in nature. Right? They're not splitting because they disagree on the scriptures. They're not splitting because they disagree on theology. It's a personal split or a social split. Uh, examples of this split might be the rich being split from the poor or one strata of society being split from another strata of society, or it may be one family grouping being split from another family grouping, or blacks being split from whites, or Jews from Gentiles, or wage earners from business owners. But the point is, it's not a doctrinal split. It's simply broken people not being what the church is meant to be. And there's no justification for this, ever. The Christian church is the body of Christ. We are a reconciling community. We've received love and forgiveness from God to reconcile us to God. You've been reconciled to God. I've been reconciled to God. Therefore, we need to demonstrate that same love and forgiveness to each other and that same love and acceptance and be reconciled to one another. 
Right? So Paul has heard that there's divisions, there's splits along social or personal lines, and this should not be so within a church. Whereas factions, uh, in the Greek the word is hieresis, from which we get our word heretic, it's about choosing to follow a certain teaching or a certain doctrine. Right? So factions, the way that he's using this word, they're often drawn up along party lines based on what we believe. We wonder, people ask, oh, well, why are there so many different denominations? Well, there's so many different denominations because at some stage in our history there's been factions, there's been disagreements on, along how we should interpret the Bible and, and what our theology is. And the same, that, so that word hieresis, it's used in the New Testament to describe the party of the Pharisees as opposed to the party of the Sadducees, right? They believed different things about God. They were close, but different. And it's also used to describe the sect of the Christians because Christianity began as Judaism. We started out, Jesus was a Jew and it grew out of Judaism and they were known as the sect of the Christians, it's a, it's a choice, it's a decision we make to hold to a certain teaching. And Paul says, there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognised. Now what's that telling us? It's telling us if some are genuine, then some are not genuine. Jesus warned us that false teachers would come into the church and many would be led astray by them. Now, if those who were genuine did not stand against those who were false, how then could anyone tell the difference between the true gospel and that which is false and leading many astray? And so that's why Paul's saying there must be factions. In every age, false teachers bring heresies into the church to lead people astray, but also in every age, God will provide his faithful teachers who faithfully proclaim the gospel and thus we have factions. It's normal within the church. And you've noticed that, haven't you? Like there's always been factions within the church along different theological lines. So if there are factions in the church, if people choose to follow different teachings within the church, how do we know which teaching to follow? There's so many of them. Um, Paul said there needs to be factions so those who are genuine among you may be recognised. Well, how do we recognise a genuine teacher as opposed to a false teacher? Well, interestingly enough, he doesn't actually go into that in this passage because that's not his primary message. In other areas, he certainly does go into it, um, into this, in this book itself, but, but more so in some of his other letters. And I'll just leave you with two ways to identify right teaching. You identify it by the content of the teaching and the content of the character of the person doing the teaching. When it comes to content of the teaching, those who are genuine will allow the scriptures to shape what they believe rather than letting what they believe shape the scriptures. Okay? We all know we can twist the scriptures to say whatever we want to say. But if we want to have a genuine faith, we start with the word of God and we let that shape us. And when it comes to character, um, if that teacher is living by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will be very evident in their lives. 
Jesus told us how to recognise a false teacher. You'll recognise them by their fruit. Now, the fruit, that's not what you can do. It's not how big a church you can attract yourself. It's not any of that. The fruit of our character is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, all those who are genuine, genuine will be recognised by the content of what they believe and the content of their character. They will be characterised by the fruit of the Spirit. They won't just love the people they like. They'll be characterised by the love that they have even for their enemies. They won't just be joyful occasionally when something good goes for them. They'll have this joy of the Lord in them all the time. Um, they won't just have peace and patience and be kind occasionally. They'll be characterised by these things. The goodness will shine through on them. The faithfulness and their gentleness, they'll be so gentle to others. And their self-control. Right? And so factions, choosing to follow a particular teaching, is inevitable within a church. It's, it's just up to us to make sure that we are genuine in our faith. Um, but it's also we can recognise those who are not genuine. Anyway, I'm going to leave that talk on factions at that point because Paul will cover that more in other areas. But here he's not so much concerned with what he calls factions. Here he's concerned with what he's calling divisions, which is a different matter entirely. Sometimes people let a, a faction, a, a, a belief, lead to division. And sometimes that's right, sometimes it's not. Um, but let's look at what he's talking about here. Right, so the presenting issue was the way this Corinthian church behaved in communion. Uh, but it seems pretty obvious that this was a symptom of the real problem that was in that church. The real problem was their individualism. It was their lack of connection, their lack of unity. It was their independence from one another. You know, we, we tend to think that independence is a good thing. No, it's not. Not when it comes to the church. Not when it comes to the body of Christ. They've, they've made themselves independent from one another. It, it was their failure to identify as the body and to be the body together. Now, when I was at Bible college... The first thing that they taught us when it comes to interpreting scripture, right? So we get a passage from the Bible and we want to know, okay, how are we going to interpret this? Well, the first thing they taught us wasn't about how to compare the Greek with the English. It, it wasn't how to know the, and apply the historical context. It, it wasn't to place the scriptures in a wider theological framework. All these things are important, but that's not the starting point. You know what the first thing they taught us was? And it's something you probably know. I hope you already know this. It's something that we should, can all do and something we should all do. It's don't just take a small passage isolated by itself. Read what's around it. So, for example, in this, what we're reading today, it's a letter. Now, if your mum wrote you a letter and, and you just read one paragraph, you, you wouldn't just read one paragraph and study one paragraph. You, you take the whole letter as a whole. So whenever you're reading the Bible at all, 
Read a chapter or two beforehand. Read a chapter or two afterwards and you'll see how the passage that we're studying fits into the whole thing. It seems strange we just, because we want to know about communion, we just turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 17 to 34 and voila, we've got a passage on communion and we know all about communion. But you know what? He's not only talking about communion. Um, when we begin reading the Bible and taking a couple of chapters before and a couple of chapters afterwards, you'll be surprised just how much the Lord just opens up your mind and, and helps you to understand what he's saying better. And this passage is a case in point. Chapter 11 is an object lesson. It begins with communion. He begins with the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of Jesus. But what the object lesson is really about is us as disciples of Jesus being the body of Christ. And so we see that the body of Jesus was broken. The body of Jesus was broken apart so that we, the body, could be together in unity so that we could be one. Immediately following today's reading, it goes straight into chapter 12. And you know what chapter 12 is talking about? It gives us some of the most magnificent teaching on what it means for us to be the body of Christ. Each member depending on one another. Not one part of the body is independent from another part of the body. We all need one another. And we all need to depend on one another. It's about the unity of the body. It's about, I am deficient without you, and you're deficient without me. We begin in verse 22, he sets the context. And the context is about those who despise the church of God. Now, when we talk about church, instantly our mind goes to a church building, or a church denomination, or a church structure, or whatever. The word church, in the Greek, it's simply ecclesia, which means gathered ones. It's the body of Jesus, the body of Christ, gathered together to worship. And so he sets the scene in the context of those who despise the church, who despise the body of Christ gathered together. It's about those who humiliate others in the church. So verse 22 sets the scene and then he teaches us about what communion is. And Robin's going to come and do what I shouldn't be doing, spreading germs today in my crookness. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Solemn stuff, hey? 
Imagine being the disciples with him on that night. What do you mean, Jesus? Oh, how, how we know exactly what it means when he was crucified for us. Solemn stuff. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. How do we do it in an unworthy manner? Practices of how we do communion vary from church to church, from family to family, from church service to church service. But we know in every situation, we know this verse well, don't we? If we take communion in an unworthy manner, we will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. We know we have to take this seriously. For this reason, many parents won't allow their children to take communion until they're a bit older and old enough to understand that they need to be respectful and honour God in the way they take communion. And so we are told to examine ourselves before we eat the bread and the wine. Now, that's a deep examination testing ourselves, judging ourselves before we eat the bread and the wine. I'm not told to examine or to judge the person across the aisle from me. It's not, I'm not to judge whether another person in our midst is worthy to take communion or not. There is one person in this room who I'm to judge. It's myself. There is one person in this room who you are to judge, and that's yourself. But what are we judging about ourselves? What are we examining about ourselves? Is it, oh, am I holding the bread right? Or, or if we're doing the rip and dip method, uh, did I dip the bread in the wine far enough or did I dip it too far? Uh, by the way, if your fingernails hit the wine, you've gone way too far, okay? Um, do I eat it straight away or do I hold on to it until everybody else has got it? Now, all of these are questions for us. All, it's all practical stuff. That's not at all, I don't believe, what the Lord is talking about here. Usually, before we take communion, um, we have a practice where sometime in the service we have a prayer of confession. We should actually make sure we do this every time. Have a time of prayer of confession so that we can get ourselves right with God before we take communion. But you know what? It is impossible to be right with God if we're not right with our brother or sister in Christ. Verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, what body is he talking about here that we have to discern? Is he talking about we have to discern that the bread represents the body of Christ? If so, he's talking about knowledge. In my mind, I know that through the bread and the wine, I know that I'm meeting with Christ. Is that what he's talking about? Well, yes-ish, but it goes further than this. He's talking about something much more practical and local. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. What body is he talking about? 
Well, as we get into chapter 12, there is no debate. Paul is talking about the body of Christ, us. We are the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. And if my relationship with the body, with the church as the body of Christ, is one of brokenness, schism, split, woe to me. I'm bringing judgment on myself. We live in a very individualistic culture. Um, and this has been something where we come from, this church is more of an evangelical background. And something that evangelical Protestants don't recognise very well is we have a very individualistic culture where we see being saved as primarily as my relationship with God. But at communion, we come face to face with the reality that this is not just an individual experience. Um, we come face to face with the reality that as children of God, we are part of the body of Christ. And it is so important that we examine ourselves, not just for us to get ourselves personally right with God, but for us to examine ourselves to make sure that we're right with our brother or sister in Christ, that we love our brother, that we're reconciled to our sister, that we discern the body of Christ and are in right relationship with the body of Christ. This doesn't only go for the communion service. We tend to like to just break things up into the, the special sacred and then everyday life. Well, this is to do with our very salvation and, and our everyday worship. Um, Jesus taught us this. In, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, You've heard it that is said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Not just in communion. This is always. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Wow, what's this telling us about worship? How good is our worship to God if we're angry with our brother? We have to go and get right with our brother. And then our worship is acceptable to the Lord. Now, this is serious stuff. Verse 30 says, That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. This isn't about holding the bread the wrong way, this is about division, it's about personal and social divides. And the pride that prevents us from truly examining ourselves and, and repenting 
of what brings that divide, bitterness or resentment or, or whatever it is that divides us from others in the church. Division, schism can be the cause of weakness, sickness and even death. This is serious stuff. It's not so much about doing communion according to the book and getting all the cues right and dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. It's, it's about having the right attitude towards our brothers and sisters in Christ when we worship God and when we take communion. And this isn't merely a spiritual thing. It's very practical. When from our hearts we forgive and seek forgiveness, when we open our eyes to those around us and we realise that we together are the body of Christ and that it's not just about me and God, but that my destiny and my salvation are actually tied to the body. And when our primary concern shifts from an individualised faith where, oh, it's all about me and God, provided it's good between me and God, then everything else is right. That's just false. That's just false. It needs to be shifted to recognise that we need to be a united body of Christ, a body where I depend on you and you depend on me, a body where I share my deepest needs with you and I share, I pray for you in your deepest needs. When we've examined ourselves and are reconciled, then we have correctly discerned the body of Christ. When we truly examine ourselves and rightly connect with the body, when we come together, it will not be for judgment, but for the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, so many times we've just made worship or communion just about being between us and you, ourselves and you, and we've neglected the body. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Lord, help us to examine our own hearts. Lord, help us to identify unforgiveness, broken relationships, schism, split. And Lord, we repent of these. Father, forgive us. And Lord, I pray that you would make us as a reconciling community that we wouldn't just be a church full of individuals who have this sense of self-righteousness because we're right with you. But Lord, help us to be a church as a church is meant to be, as a body who loves and cares for one another. A body who is reconciled to one another. A body who depends on one another. Lord, we repent of independence. And our prayer is, Lord, make us one. In the name of Jesus. Amen.